0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast, by guitarists for guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown and Al Levy.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and Al to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends. And we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B R O W N E M O N U M E N T S. And you can find AL at AL Levy U R M Audio. That's E Y A L L E V I U R M A U D I O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast, so please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this joint episode of the Riff Hard Podcast and the X-Men Podcast. I'm super stoked to talk to Doc again because I love the dude. And we've been friends for a very long time. And I really, really do admire his intellect, which all of you are aware of now through the podcast, his musicianship through all of the different bands he's had that are really damn good. And also his drive. I love talking to friends of mine that I consider to be inspirations. Let's get into it. Doc Coyle, welcome back to the Riff Hard Podcast podcast. Thank you for having me on the program.
2: I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and thank you for
2: uh, doing the pod swap. Is that what, what we call it in the parlance of, of our profession?
0: I think that's what it's called, a pod swap. I'm just talking shit because I honestly have no idea <laughs> yeah, well, in, what it's called. In
2: that spirit, also welcome to the X-Men podcast.
0: <laughs> thank you. It's always fun and cool to uh, catch up with you. Every single time that I talk to you, something different's going on. In any way, shape or form, like you're always doing stuff and your projects are always moving forward. And, uh, one thing I don't want to get into like bullshit or details, but I was saying this earlier, you're one strong motherfucker. Like I have just noticed this about you over the years, um, that you've gone through a bunch of stuff that would have knocked most people out of the game, but here you are still going.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that you kind of phrase it that way, because I definitely feel like this year, last nine months, year or so, even going back to the the pandemic, just my, and I don't think I'm alone in this, but, you know, my emotional state, my mental state has been tested thoroughly. <laughs> and I, I personally do not feel like I'm the strongest ver- version of myself, because I, I feel like when we feel the strongest, we feel like we have this... Innate kind of ability within our gut to like will ourselves through anything, right? It's like i'm gonna i'm gonna the secret my way through this I'm gonna vision board my way through this and i'll manifest (laughs) my reality right like and you know I've had a couple things happen just in the last few weeks that you know The ball didn't quite bounce bounce my way and you go and I say like a lot of people go man doc You're really humble. It's like i'm not that humble. It's just because every time I start getting cocky the world (laughs) goes No, nah, just it just slaps me right on the ass and goes, no, you're not that cool. Just calm down.
0: The universe restores balance. Okay, so what I've noticed from my own personal experience is when I'm feeling strong and confident, that's when I start to let my guard down and that's when uh, shit gets slapped in the face by the universe. So I do think that when we're at our strongest, it's not it doesn't necessarily coincide with when we feel like we're at our strongest because when we had to be our strongest is usually when everything around us feels painful and horrible.
1: You guys let your guard down.
0: Sometimes. <laughs> I start to.
1: How do you do that? <laughs> it's like I'm constantly enclosed in a flame suit. You mean emotionally? Yeah, just letting guard down in general. Yeah, I just kind of wondered how you guys do it. Like, I, I feel like I never really have had that.
2: Listen, I can't speak for, for, for all, but for, my, for myself, I, I've just had moments where I'm like, I got this. I'm the man. <laughs> like, right before I moved to L.A., like, I quit, God forbid, and immediately I got a gig touring with Unearth. I immediately got a gig working for the NBA, and, and then I was like, I'm moving to L.A. I bought a car. I was like, I'm doing this. I'm the man. I can do anything I want, you know, and then my car broke down. Then it broke down again, and I moved <laughs> to L.A., and I'm broke, and I'm. it was like a, a good year of just in the struggle right but it's that feeling of i got this i'm the man that i think not not that it it makes the bad things happen but it it's i don't know it's just I like, just like it's like the universe just going hey man calm down relax you know it's like it's just that that whole control thing you know and i think that some of that i think is a is a guy thing like you know men re- that's a real like masculine thing it's like i got this i can i can do anything i'm superman right And then you go, no, I'm just, I'm just a guy who's imperfect, who's, you know, can do some cool things. And I can do a lot of cool things, but I can't control everything. I can only control like a little bit of a little bit,
0: but things are going to happen that you can't control. What I've noticed is that it's both for me, both a control thing. And then also like when you do a lot of stuff, you have enough stuff going on. Some of those things are going to go well. And if you try hard enough and put in the uh, the whatever's required, some of those things are going to go better than others. And when they start going really, really well and everyone is like blowing like uh, vanilla smoke up your ass, uh, it's super tempting to believe them. And once you start believing them, it's like that's when all the stuff that when your guard is up that you're all that you're worrying about, which is. Taking care of those things is what keeps shit moving forward. You start to relax on those things, and then shit unravels. You know, believing you, your own hype. Yeah, it's not a good idea.
2: Yeah, and, I, and that was the funny thing around when Bad Wolves took off, a lot of the tenor of, of interviews around what people was like, Doc, you, you figured it out. You worked so hard. You got all this. I'm just like, And I really, I don't know, you know. I'd have to go back and listen to interviews to see exactly what I said, but my vibe was, i'm literally doing nothing different now than i was doing a year ago or two years ago it just happened to work out like you know what i'm saying but when something works out people want to give you all the credit that you're some genius or you 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 know it's just it, i i just never looked at it that way i just i just felt like you bust your ass and you get more balls in the lottery and one happens to bounce your way and and cool take that ride but it doesn't mean you're any Smarter than you were, or more hardworking than you were two or three years earlier, just kind of had happened to work out that way, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, when Nail the Mix took off, that was awesome. But that's not the first time I tried to do something, you know, whether it was like just a bad idea or ill timed idea, ill timed band, like whatever. Like I've taken a lot of at bats in my life um, and continue to. And so, of course one of them had to work eventually. That's how I see it.
1: <laughs> not always.
0: No, definitely not always, but I'm an optimist. Obviously there's going to be some people who take all the at-bats and strike out every time, but I think most people who take enough at-bats are going to at least get a base hit at some point, right?
1: I guess so. The odds, you know, it has to happen eventually. I think that a lot of people will probably give up before that happens sometimes as well. So they never get, never get the opportunity to even see when it goes their way.
0: Yep. Unfortunately, since none of us can predict the future. <laughs> That'd be nice. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but quitting a project is sometimes the best move. Or like stopping doing something is the best move. And while we're sitting here saying like more at-bats, more chances of success, like at the same time, you got to know when... Uh, when time's up on something, it's like a fine line knowing the difference between I should keep going versus uh, let's put this to bed and try something else.
2: Speaking from personal experience, I can say quitting is one of the most empowering things you can do in life because it's so much like, I'm taking control, right? Like, like you know, that, that, that kind of funny thing is, you can't fire me, I quit, right? Like that idea that the same outcome is so much more empowering if you're the one who makes the decision and you go, I'm deciding to do something else because, and especially in a modern economy that is so derived around fear, right? People constantly afraid of losing their job, losing their stability. And when you kind of take that in your own hands, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's a, its a nice wave to ride. And, and I think for me, it's something that when something's not working out well, I think about it almost immediately. Like I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not always it's not always the it's not always the right decision. But once you've done that and you've seen it it actually work out, you also you you it becomes a viable option. You go, hey, this is something, this is in the the tools, the the uh the, the tool belt if if I if I need to kind of, you know, it's
0: like break in case of emergency, right? Yeah, but at the same time, I've seen you stick it out projects like you're sticking it out now you stuck it out with god forbid for a long ass time you didn't just cut and run
2: well i finished here's the thing but i I also believe in finishing something i started right so and by the way finishing something you started doesn't mean you stick around for another 12 years it means hey maybe we made an album and i made a commitment to finish this album cycle or you know what i'm saying or i made a commitment to Mm -hmm. see you know it's about seeing things through to the end and going hey let's yeah, like like let's show what we're made of, and and with this situation in particular, battles. It's like, it's such a monumental challenge. It's like I feel like I would I I owe it to myself, and everyone owes it to themselves. So like, hey, let's see what, what we can actually do with this fucking thing. Who knows? It, it's it's really like I said. It's a, you know I said this you know before we officially started that it's this uh, tunnel. You know you're in the tunnel and you just can't see the the light at the end of it. And it you don't know how long it is. You don't know what's in there, if there's dead bodies, if there's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cars turned over, if there's zombies, but you're already in it. There, there is no turning around. There is no stopping, right? Once you're in the tunnel, right? It's really interesting you that you want
0: something bad to happen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that, it's really interesting though. There's, uh, I think that we as people really struggle to know when to sort of put something to bed and when to continue it on. We associate time with success. You've put X amount of time in, it should be successful. And that's not always necessarily the case i mean did i ever so i've talked i've talked this a lot on my
2: show and i don't know if i've talked about here about uh one of the things that inspired me to quit god forbid was an article i read it was also a podcast from this thing called freakonomics and it was called the upside of quitting and so it's an economics perspective of essentially mathematically looking at any pursuit right and the truth is if Most endeavors eventually, over any period of time, kind of start, uh, ascend, peak, and eventually fail. What you need to do is you need to figure out you basically need to make a bet on yourself of like when in that timeline is the best time to get out. You don't want to. No one wants to remain on a sinking ship, right? So what you're (laughs) what you're talking about is the sunk cost fallacy. It's yep, the idea that, it. that the longer I'm invested in something, well, that's more reason for me not to leave. When in fact, it's actually, it's a fallacy. It's it's it that's that's meaningless. It that's actually that's a trick that gets people stuck on the sinking ship a lot of the time.
0: Absolutely.
2: And figuring by the way, figuring that out is a foggy thing. It's it's not an easy thing to do because when most things have peaked, you don't even you don't realize it's the peak at the time. You always assume. Oh, we're just we're just we hit a bump in the road and we'll be back or we'll be above, you know, where we thought. So that's it's not an easy thing, but it is something that I try and think about now when I'm involved in anything.
0: It's it I think it is human nature to associate amount of time with results, right? Like I think that it's the most natural thing to try to do, but realizing that They're not tied to each other is a big one. So you read that, and then what did you realize? If I was being honest with myself, I probably would have quit.
2: God forbid, like 2010, but I quit in 2013, right? But that was enough to do another album and do some touring and kind of. And by the way, that is not always the case, right? Sometimes it is just a downslide, and we've seen this so many times with certain bands where. Oh, it looks like that band has kind of seen their best days, and then they have a member change, or they put out a new record, or they get a new manager, or you know, the, something happens, and that perseverance ends up paying off in 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 the long run. There is there is that element of you know certain artists you know that did that didn't break up. Where I'm like, and you see, they're still rocking. They're still like, man, you're like, that's fucking badass that they stuck it through. And they're still out there and people still care about what they're doing. That's super admirable, you know, but I don't know, like I said, but I, and by the way, I don't say that in a, in terms of regret, like, I don't currently feel like, man, if I only would have quit three years earlier, my life would be, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't look at it that way. I'm completely proud of actually the work we did after that time period. And I'm proud of the fact that everyone really gave a hundred percent into that album and into the, that 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 touring. And and like I said, and sometimes doing those things, you're just, do, you're just you're proving something to yourself that you can do something in the in the in the in the face of odds. But if you were if I was being like really kind of cold and calculating, right? Like there's a there's a way to look at it in 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 that regard. And how many people do we know involved in a business, involved in a band, where we can from the outside look in, go, that's a fruitless endeavor. That has no shot. <laughs> but they are so committed. And you you almost, if you tell them that, then you would feel like an asshole or a bad friend for kind of pissing on their dream a little bit, right? But then again, like for every super successful endeavor, it took kind of a delusional individual to believe in something that didn't
0: exist until it did. I know that people thought I was fucking insane when I quit everything and started this shit. So... Sometimes the people around you are fucking wrong.
2: Yeah, but here's the thing. <laughs> and sometimes they're right.
0: <laughs> I know. It's,
2: who knows? And, but that's exactly my, my point. None of us are geniuses. I'm sure there are geniuses. I'm sure there's some people who whose success rate is much higher than others. And I'm sure there's a spectrum of all that. Figuring that out for ourselves is, is its own little journey, you know? But, it's, but what I'm saying is having done that, having been the guy who's quit something that I remember, like, talking to— I'm not going to mention names of people in big bands who go, why would you quit? Why would you start over? Like, that's so dumb. People in big bands. And I'd be like, and I knew in my heart of hearts, that's what I wanted to do. And they were wrong. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and maybe a lot of that was them viewing it through the perception of their own success. Yeah. Like, why would they quit their band? Yeah, exactly. And so they they look at it in, the, in, that, in that regard. But I think it is, you know, by the way, that's the whole crux of my show. The X-Men is like... Kind of like talking to people like you, right? Who've left things that you put your whole heart and soul and identity into and then had to rediscover who you were. And then it turns out it was the best thing. It was by far the best thing decision you ever made, right? It's like letting go. Like that's a beautiful thing that, oh, this thing I was like, so it's like you're, you know, it you know, what reminds me of is like, um, there's that Avenged event Sevenfold song, uh, "Little Piece of Heaven," about the guy who like resurrects his dead wife's body and like like dances with her. It's like trying to keep the dead body alive and dressing it up like Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of pathetic when you put it that Yo, way. But, that's, but <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. Sometimes it's like, hey, the, she's dead, bro. Like time to bury her. You know what I'm saying? And, and and move on. And we've we've known people who've gotten stuck, who can't. Yes, who are still talking about some shitty record deal from 10 years ago or some tour that didn't work out or some manager that screwed them over. And it's like, dude, fucking get over it. Like,
0: what are you doing now?
2: (laughs) Who cares? Like, seriously.
0: Yes, we've all seen that. Where I've seen it the worst is on the local level. And I am saying this because most people listening are not in big bands. There's actually very few people in professional bands. Like sometimes I forget the bubble I'm in Like when I look through like my iChat and it's like crazy who's in it, like I forget that that's just a bubble. That's not the majority at all. Most people are at the local level. What I have noticed, um, this is through producing a lot and paying attention, is that people get themselves stuck in bad situations because they want something to work out so bad that they will stay in the same band for like 15 years at the local level or, and like keep on trying to get the same songs to work over and over and over and over where I feel like you're kind of talented. You're pretty smart. I know a lot of people in big bands that are equally as talented or smart. If you were to quit this project and start another one and give it two years and then quit that, if that didn't work out and start another, eventually you would have, not eventually there's no promises, but like, uh, no guarantees, but chances would be higher, in my opinion, that you'd stumble onto something good. And I've seen this a number of times. But that's also a filtering process, right? That every time you do
2: that, if people do that, that eventually the you become weathered to the point that you just get better, right? Or the talent eventually kind of enough people see it and it just starts to become obvious. Because I noticed this, like people like myself, or you were like, you started your first bands that got a break. Then those bands break up. And then you see, how how do those individuals disperse? What is this person doing? Is this person still doing music? Is this person, they leave and they start a carpentry business or whatever. And then the people who just kind of keep at it, they're like, there's a reason why they kept at it. There's a reason because they were able to, like, part of me, like, trying other things was like, am I really ask myself, am I even good enough to be a quote unquote professional musician? Am I good enough to, like, just show up to a tour with a different band or show up in a studio and just play with other people and be good enough that I'm worth X amount of money, right? So when you do that process of, hey, two years, here's a new project, and you see how it goes, and then you see, okay, I'm I'm actually pretty good at this. You know, you actually test yourself because sometimes that first band that gets a break the sum is better than its parts. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that each one of those people is good enough to be a professional musician, but you put them all together and their chemistry and their charisma and their songs is just special. And there's a place in time and that works, but it doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, person X from cool band could play with anyone, you know, or, 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 no. or start something fresh and have that work. Right. So that is a filtration process every time you do that of going, who's got what it takes, who has the it factor,
0: Who, ha- whatever that means. I want to tweak what you're saying sure. just <laughs> a little bit, even though I 100% agree. And even though I actually did start playing again, the same energy for me that I put into like creating the band and getting it signed is the same type of energy that I put into any project. It's just like this relentless fucking need to create things. And so I think that the that that filtration process needs to go beyond just seeing yourself as a professional musician because for some sure. people they don't have what it takes to be and I actually think I do have what it takes to be a pro musician but some people don't but that doesn't mean they don't have what it takes to do something awesome in music too even either way that filtration process is very very important you you realize about yourself that If you're capable of doing anything special and you also realize about the people around you, if they're capable of it or not.
1: Well, (laughs) while you guys are talking about this filtration process thing, while I 100% agree with you, I'm just thankful that we still have my sugar.
2: (laughs) But that's the ultimate filtration process that lets us know none of us are worthy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is, is that, I mean... They started in what, eighty-seven? And I would say that no one really cared about that band until two thousand and eight. They had their underground following, sure. Pimp nah, nah. Listen, bro. Listen, bro. I'm how old do you? Don't worry, I started caring about them before then too. What I'm saying is they didn't really
2: break. I just think that's fact that's inaccurate. I mean, they they were on tour with Slayer in like nineteen ninety-eight, but their trajectory just kept going up and up and up and up. But it was it didn't start. Yes, in eighty-seven it was zero. But trust me, I mean, in 96, Meshuggah was, like, my favorite band and almost everyone I knew. And, like, they they did a show, for example, in uh, New York City, right, on, like, their maybe the first or second time they were in America and it was with Dillinger and Candiria, and, and this was, like, one of the most legendary shows. So, like, people that would take a bullet to go to the show say no one cared. Wrong
1: choice of words is what I mean.
2: And even in, like, 2001, 2002, they were doing successful headline tours and things like that. So it wasn't, like... You know, and selling decent amount of records, and so, but I just think it was a slow trajectory of like it was. It just got better and better and better. So, you know, just that's my opinion. Just <laughs> sorry.
0: I agree because I remember they were already headlining in the late nineties. Yeah,
1: they were. But what I'm saying is, is that it was a very slow progression for that band. If we take the process of elimination that you guys talking about, you know, like filtration and working out if time is equal to x would that still be the case with a band like that because it's it, that I can imagine that those guys went through that process in their heads whether or not they were doing the right thing because it took so long and when I mean to 2008 when they sort of broke with the song bleed it was supposed to before that I mean I've been you know I saw them live in 2004 they hadn't played in England for about four or five years before that cuz obviously numbers for them were terrible but I saw them at a 1500 cap venue it was incredible um, and I've been following them since about 2001. But I still think, ultimately, that filtration process doesn't work for a band like that. No, but I also think
2: their mentality, right, is vastly different than probably 99.99999% of bands, which it seems like they never gave a fuck about any of that shit. And they were so connected to what they were doing. And they I don't think they ever thought what they were doing would ever be financially viable it just turned out that way and so they're so connected to the art element of it and don't really doesn't seem like they give a fuck what anyone thinks and then also being swedish having you know (laughs) help from the government to like rent rehearsal spaces and do tours and do all this stuff and you're not as focused on the money aspect of it and then also being involved in other businesses and Software companies and recording studios, and you know what I'm saying, like very true. Because the talent is so overwhelmingly above everyone that you could show "Masuga" to any person who likes music, a jazz head, uh, you know, a, a someone who's into like fish, you know, or like a hip hop head, and anyone listens to it and goes, "I don't know what the fuck this is," but it's noteworthy. Like it's it's just it just stands out. You know, they're to me they're in that tool category they're in that you know radiohead category like people that, that just exist in their own sphere that they, that's almost like almost not worthy of comparison because they're I special. guess you're right there eh? <laughs> some people some people some people are just a special group of people that literally march to the beat of their own drummer and uh and the, and the rules that apply to most of us don't apply to them you know not that there's any real rules but
0: <laughs> but they are absolute outliers yeah most of the best practices that apply to everybody else they apply for a reason like most bands should give up <laughs> after a little while
2: but by the way and also you can say with, with Sugar you could never at any point say what they were doing wasn't working i the only downslide they ever had was when they put that album out Catch 33 that was the only time they got slightly less popular but other than that everything they did got bigger
1: yeah i guess you're correct what i mean is is that they were underground for a very long time let's just say like that yeah i mean it's still
2: it's still underground but big i think everything's kind of like everything's niche right there's some electronic artists i'll never even hear of but they're probably playing in front of two thousand people right now somewhere that's very <laughs> you, true you know like everything is like do you know how many tv shows are on there's motherfuckers who've been on tv for 20 years and if they were staying right for me i wouldn't even know who they were but they're probably <laughs> they, they got a big house in Malibu because they're on some weird ass show on fucking channel 11 for 20 years You know, it's like everything's niche.
0: Which is beautiful in my opinion. I think that defining breaking as like uh, the super mainstream definition of success, it's just leaving out a lot of the picture. There's quite a big possibility of experiencing quite a big amount of success within the quote unquote underground. Like Those terms are super loose.
1: But then when do you tell your mates that they're wasting their time? The mates might not understand the niche the wasting time thing is
2: completely subjective it's like are you enjoying doing what you're doing if you're enjoying doing what you're doing you're never wasting your time that's very true do you enjoy the people you're around you have you like i whatever we're doing i these people are my friends and and when we're together my life is better and it's more enriched or you know i mean you you guys are really extremely talented musicians who have found success in other areas business-wise and those things, sometimes when you put the band down for a second, start another business, get other income, and now you're not as reliant on the band to make you money, sometimes that makes you a better artist because you can keep the art more pure. You can enjoy it more because you're not putting this crazy pressure on it to be as profitable and things like that as, as, as well. So listen, when I say the upside of quitting – and, I, and kind of borrowing that, that term from Freakonomics. Every situation is different. Doesn't mean what worked for me is going to work for someone else in everyone's environment. There was, but there's definitely certain situations where I'm friends with people in bands that are good. And I'd say right now we're in the, I'd say, the kind of like desert of good. There's so much good out there. It's not like you, you know, back in the day you would hit, get headed demos that were so terrible because production <laughs> was hard and it was expensive and you know, there was before, you know, people didn't have auto-tune and all this stuff, right? And program drums, that sounded great. But now everything's pretty good. But what is that thing that separates it? So I see people out here toiling and part of me wants to go, man, I think they should I Think they should wrap it up and just kind of try something else. But everyone has to figure out that out on their own.
0: Yeah, to answer your question, Brown, when do I tell my mates that? I don't. Like <laughs> when I talk about this. I'm more just encouraging people to ask themselves that question. Because like Doc said, if you're enjoying yourself, you're not wasting your time. And if your goal also isn't to achieve a certain milestone or certain trajectory and you're enjoying yourself, then you're not wasting your time. But like, if your results don't match what you want out of something, then I encourage anyone to start questioning what they're doing. They might figure out that they're doing the right thing. They also might figure out that they're not. But even though there have been a lot of situations where my thoughts are, yeah, this is going nowhere. You should quit. I'm not going to tell them that. That's for them to figure out. <laughs> like,
2: You know what's a good example of this is Devin Townsend breaking up Strapping Young Lad. Yeah, one of my all time favorite metal bands. Right? Like it's almost counterintuitive because to me, Strapping Young Lad was so important and so groundbreaking. And then it turns out if he just calls his records. Devin Townsend, then all of a sudden he becomes like five times more successful. But for me, I want Strapping and Lad records, but it turns out the people <laughs> really just wanted to see Devin, right? But he had to kind of put this one thing to sleep to kind of open up this, all this, this kind of well of uh, potential, you know? So it's like some sometimes something has to die for other great
0: things to live. Yeah. I remember how nuts people thought he was for doing that.
2: Yeah. But, dude, and that band struggled, and I still don't know why. Like, it it boggles my mind. Like, how is this not the biggest metal band in the world?
1: Right? To me, at least. I remember having tickets to see Strapping Young Lad and Meshuggah in 2005, and it was canceled, and I'm still pissed off. You should be. I'm pissed off for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I never got to see Strapping Young Lad Lad live. I think we should write a letter to
2: all the people and go, listen, can you make it up, this show? This is not correct.
1: Yeah, I think, Devin, you need to just do this London show that you promised me that I've probably still got the ticket for somewhere.
2: Well, you know, Devin, he did... Um, Kyle from Bad Wolves, actually, him and Wes Houck and Dirk. Yep. They end up doing 70,000 tons of metal and did a bunch of strapping songs not too long ago, as they called it, the Heavy Devi set. So <laughs> whoever was there, you, uh, you are some lucky individuals.
0: Wes, what a fucking monster.
2: Is Wes officially in that, like, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan category where like he definitely he sold his soul a piece of it maybe he brokered to be that
0: good (laughs) (laughs) it's entirely possible because it's freakish
2: you know i don't i don't know if you want to kind of keep on this the subject but just a question i had for you a all you know in terms of this idea of will and you know setting your mind on something you you know not that long ago lost a good amount of weight and i just want to you know I i don't think we ever got to actually talk about it between ourselves but i mean can i ask you like A, like, what spurred that on? Like, what was the moment where you're like, I need to make a big change in my life? And what has been kind of, like, the through line in terms of staying with that and sticking with it that helped you kind of make that a reality?
0: I think that uh, I was super, super pissed off about the way certain things went, but I couldn't really take it out on other people uh, because I... Like, I knew better than to burn every single bridge and to, like, treat the world the way that uh, I was feeling. So, basically, I just kind of turned that on myself, which is, that's kind of how I, like, uh, have analyzed the situation was uh, in order to protect my career and my future, uh, I did not uh, just scorch the entire earth, which is what I felt like doing for quite a few years. But then that just started to subside over years, therapy and success. And then the pandemic happened and it was just like, fuck it, go time. When else am I gonna get this much time to just focus on me?
2: You're saying the anger helped you put on weight or the anger
0: helped- Yes, put it on. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, the anger and how bitter I was feeling towards a few different situations was like on a homicidal level. Like what I wanted to do to some people was not good. And, uh, the way I was feeling was not good. And of course I'd never like act on that, but like the shit that I wanted to say and do was so fucking vile that I tucked it away. And then you can't, you can't really do that. There's no like free rides with your, uh, I guess with health or feelings or whatever. If you don't address the way you're feeling in a healthy way, it's going to come out in an unhealthy way. And basically the amount of weight that I gained is pretty much a one-to-one direct comparison to how I was feeling about the world. And so, yeah, over the years as I started to chill out and uh, addressed it, got therapy and uh, also experienced quite a bit of success, it started to just reside. I mean, yeah, it's just started to calm down a little bit. And then I could think clearly again and it was almost like as soon as I started to get clarity, it was fucking on. So I see the success of URM and now the mix and all that is like a complete miracle because of how I was feeling. Like I was operating at like 20% energy all those years. Like, uh, it's a miracle that we're at this point now. Does that answer your question? (laughs) It's not
2: what you were expecting probably, but I hear that. You know how like this report just came out of this whistleblower from Facebook about, you know, kind of told us something we already knew that like Instagram makes young girls feel like crap, right? Because they go on there, they see Photoshop bodies and things that aren't realistic. I feel like I have that, but for like self-starting successful individuals in my field. You know, when I see people like starting businesses or Get, getting a successful twitch channel or get, just anything that feels like very self-starter-esque mm-hmm. and especially in the pandemic where a lot of people go I need to take my own life in my own hands and I, I always feel like I'm behind the ball that I'm not doing enough that I'm not you know I don't have enough content I'm not product right that's 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 my thing so anytime I see someone do something of significance I'm always like I want to kind of get insight into the the will factor. Like what is the thing that just gave you the drive and the consistency and the discipline to do something of significance. So I guess that's what I was more kind of getting at.
0: I don't know. Okay. There you go.
2: (laughs) That's great. I love it. I'm going to write that down.
0: I don't know. I think also to address the way you feel about yourself, it's probably a good thing to feel that way. You should probably always feel like you're behind. And if you didn't, I wonder if you really would get ahead. I have a hard time explaining what it is, but like basically it was just a redirection of that anger and rage that I was telling you about. Like instead of focusing it on myself, I figured out a way to redirect it. Like that level of intensity directed in the wrong direction caused that sort of weight gain and like destruction of a personal life. I still have that level of energy. I just... uh have figured out how to focus it. So, like, I don't exactly know where it comes from, but it hasn't changed. Like, the amount, like, the whatever that fire is hasn't changed. I just now realize that basically it's like a high-powered weapon. And so if I am not careful and I let it point towards me, (laughs) bad things happen. And if I'm very, like, uh, methodical and focused and uh, intentional about where I'm pointing it, Good things happen. That drive is just in there. Yeah.
2: All righty. John, I have a question for you too. So, your band's situation, by the way, you have a new song out that's awesome. Just, just, Thank uh, you. just, just, congrats on having, having new, new music out. But, you know, your band is going through, I would say, a, a fairly significant transition with, with Ollie le- leaving the band. How have you kind of taken that? And I guess collectively, like, I, I guess to some, some degree, I guess there's, there's a million great guitar players out there, but I think Ollie's pretty pretty special guy, and you form chemistry and all that stuff. I mean, how do you feel about that move moving forward, but just in general, like
1: we're actually not replacing him. Really? No, because <laughs> I think that you know, as you say, with chemistry and stuff. And I was in a band with Ollie for longer than any other person. Yeah. In terms of a guitar player, so you know, before this, I was in Fell Silent with Ackle, who is now in Tesseract, and I was in that band for six, seven years. So in terms of people that I've been sort of co-writing with or just sharing a stage with as a guitar player, all these the longest one. And trying I think trying to find someone that could not necessarily replace him because it's going to be different regardless whoever it was, but it was the other guys in the band also didn't want to replace him. Like hmm. they uh they just figured that we'd just make it work. And um, you know, Monuments has been through I would say it's not really significant lineup changes comparatively to some bands, you know? Like, we've had a few vocalists. Most bands have probably done that too. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the only other um, difference is the No Ollie then at that point. Yeah. Uh, the drummer, bass player, and me are the same since the beginning. Yeah, I think at this point we want to see how it's going to work. I mean, we, we've we obviously brought in Mick Gordon to help us with certain aspects because Mick is a fucking genius. You know, after he wrote the Doom OST, just messaged him, told him he's a genius, and been talking ever since. <laughs> but yeah, we're not going to replace him. And not anytime soon anyway. You know, people are, have been asking, like, oh, who are you going to get to replace him? It's like, nah, I'm just going to... I'm going to fuck up the guitars by myself live.
2: <laughs> is that a situation where you would have, like, maybe a, another track going? My
1: plan is to try and run four amps live. Okay, it's a lot of amps. I'm, I'm not excited to lift it. All right, so long story short, on the 2014 tour, we we toured with Devin Townsend with Animals as Leaders. And on day three, Ollie lost his passport in Canada. <laughs> good job, Ollie. <laughs> that
0: sucks. <laughs> Sounds like a good few weeks right there.
1: There's a new bo- Boss product coming out. It might actually already be an out. I've not checked, but I actually put a patch on there called Forgotten Passport. I hope they didn't change the name because it was a—it uh, was basically a slightly delayed dual rhythm patch <laughs> inspired by that because I had to run two amps live to do, you know, so it, set, it basically kind of sounded the same. So that's kind of what I want to sort of do where it has like that TC mimic thing where it's like a slightly moving delay.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, maybe in future, but I just, I don't want to teach anyone else those fucking songs. I can't play them. <laughs> Well, if you can't if you can't play them, then I think we're there's there's no hope for, for for any of us. You know, there's a certain level of mistakes you can make live. We all do it. it. There's a there's a equilibrium between going crazy on stage and playing the song as well as you can. So I think we all fuck up sometimes. Hey, <laughs> you're talking to King. Uh,
2: I see so you call fuckers. I call, call just being organic, man. Just being. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. Um, I just want to congratulate you on your new single too. Thank you, thank you
2: very much. Yeah, it's a, fucking incredible. It takes a village in the Bad Wolves camp, so I'm just one of uh, several people that you know is a, is a, is a part of it. But it's uh, yeah, man, uh, music just in general, like new music, and especially it's been two years for us. I don't know how long it's been for for Monuments, but and you know we have a, a the singer change, which is like the big, the hardest transition to make in in music. And so you're already kind of fighting an uphill battle in general, um, especially with with our band where it was so established with a, an individual and a sound and and we'll just we'll we'll see and you know, hopefully the you you want you want the music to be able to do the talking and kind of hold it down and be that thing that carries you through and and we'll just see how it goes.
0: Okay, so I've known DL a long time too, you know, like some of our first real tours were with the Acacia string. Uh, they would stay at my house all the time when they played Atlanta. I had no idea about that motherfucker. <laughs> all I knew was that he had a sick ass guitar tone through fucking cranks. Like how? I, I still don't understand <laughs> how he his crank full stacks sounded that badass because like, they're fucking garbage. I still
2: ride for the Krankenstein, I think still is a fucking cool amp.
0: Yeah, but it breaks. Like they're very—they're so not we. well made. And <laughs> he had like the most ridiculous, insane guitar tone I had heard up until that point. But I had no idea he could sing. Right? <laughs> I had no idea that he had any talents beyond playing the riffs in that band. No, he can kind of do everything.
2: He's a fucking good drummer too. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> oh, he's one of those. He's one of those guys. I mean, and he actually what's really funny, you know, with DL and, and Bad Wolves is he hit me up when Bad Wolves first came out and basically was like, I want to be the third guitar player in your band, you know, because he just loved the band. He loved the music. And so we just we kind of like developed a di- dialogue back then and he would send me songs of him singing and he he sent me a cover of him doing Skeleton Song by Seven Dust. And I was like. Basically the same thing in your are Like, that's you? Are you fucking kidding me? And then I started hearing him doing, doing more things. So it was like when uh, you know, we had to change, he he was like already in my head because I knew because to me he sounded like a little like Howard, you know, like a smoother because yeah. Howard is a very like uh almost like triumphant, like very like it's it's more heavy yeah. metal than you even like almost think. You know, it's a little and his is a little more like a pop version of, of Howard, you know? And I was, so it was, it was very present in my mind. But yeah, man, it's like, trust me, it, it, if I were to tell you that that was the, I, the, the outcome that our singer would be someone who's never fronted a band, it, it that's definitely not something you would think how it would go down, but it just turned out it was the best
0: choice for the, for the band, you know? So he made you aware by like actively sending you shit. Like, so it was a surprise to you too at one point. Yeah, but but he he wrote the chorus for a song called "The Consumerist"
2: on the last Bad Wolves album. He did like the top lining for for a track. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. So it was already involved.
2: Yeah, I mean there was already a relationship, and like I said, I've known DL like you. I've known him for seventeen years, and you know he was a guest on X Man podcast like before. I think that was probably around the time where I found out that 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 he could sing. Uh, but yeah, man, it's a it's a bug out, you know? And it's, it's this weird thing where it's so funny because people call Babel's like a super group when we first came together. And now it it feels even more so like that because I mean, like God forbid had this pretty serious impact within that scene uh, in terms of influence. And Acacia strain has had just, you know, a similar effect, even maybe more to a different ge- generation. And he's kind of the brainchild behind that. And you look at what, you know, John did with Devil Driver and the impact that band made. So it's a real like, it to me, in my opinion, we have like our Devin Townsend, Adam D kind of do it all type type figure now in a band, a guy who can go and write a whole song and record it and go, hey, here's a song where we can go and record the record with him and have him produce it uh, <laughs> and not have to. Work with as many outside figures, and so it's yeah, it's a re- like we've been working on stuff. There's probably I'd say two or three songs after we had finished our initial because uh, he he jo- when he joined the band he flew to LA and did the whole record in like two weeks, and then we kept writing the label one of more songs. So we just end up getting the same mic he used out here, and then so now we're like and we've been doing a bunch of projects just remotely. You know, like we just did a Christmas song, you know, and we're. Working on stuff here and sending it and it sounds fucking amazing. And it's like, we couldn't do that before. You know, have that kind of ease of of kind of workflow. Um, and he's just fucking good and he's you know, he and he, you know, he's gonna give you album quality stuff and he can produce it all on his own. Who would have thought? Yeah, in it. Just a question actually, is he ever is he ever sung in a live situation? Not as far as I know. I'm not even sure even with a with casey strain if he did like backgrounds or anything. So not not, not that I know. So it's listen that I mean and, and the, the truth is there is a, gonna be a learning curve there, you know, in terms of being a front man and doing that whole thing. So that's definitely work we're going to have to put in and just jump into
1: the deep end <laughs> and learn. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be fine though. I mean, even with us, with Andy. Well, his stage presence though, as a guitar player was immense.
2: Yeah, it was great. He always had that star factor, even as a guitar player, which is hard to do as a guitar player, especially if you're not like doing Inve solos like behind your neck or something, just kind of riffing and being someone that has a, a, a great presence and has a dynamic look and energy and all that stuff so you know i'd say like the one thing so we we didn't just try out people on record like we had we got in a room with you know a pa system that was not that advantageous to singers you know like it it was definitely <laughs> a warts and all type of situation um and for most of the people that we had, i think we we had six or seven people in person and we had six songs and we did it twice. And he's the only person that the second time around got better. Like he made errors or had issues and then improved. And like and I, was, I was say, he's like the Terminator. He's like a learning computer. Like he does something <laughs> and then he gets better and he sees what he what's not working. And he makes it. So I know that that's just with everything we do. That's what he's going to do. He's just going to even if it's not I don't expect us to be completely refined day one, and we know this as you know people who have had bands and been on tour. That dude, it takes you like a year on the road at to least get, to get tight, to get flown to where you're like not thinking, to where you're just like functioning all cylinders. And I I expect no less. Um, I think we're gonna sound good right out the gate because I, you know I think we're he's professional enough, and we're professional enough, but getting the whole physically having it be where it's going to be, it's going to be a learning process, and that's that's okay.
0: It does take like a year.
1: Yeah. At least Andy, when we got him in, had never actually screamed in a band before. And I'd only heard him on YouTube. I had no idea what to expect. Ballsy. Because, you know, studio magic and all that sort of thing. But that is, he can actually scream live in the first gig. Obviously, terrified. Um, anxiety. But I think, yeah, I mean, just it just gets better. Over time, have you played your first? You've already played, toured with him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's okay. been, um, we did about what six, seven months before we weren't allowed to leave our houses. Yeah, but yeah, he's great, really good live vocalist and gets better with every single show. Yeah, I mean, same thing
2: with with uh, DL, we weren't sure about his screaming vocals. Um, and then there's a song, it's like the opening song on the record. Uh, when he did the demo, he actually wrote, uh, like a bridge heavy vocal that was not there. So I was like, he he, he completely put it in there and I was like, it's fucking, and it's way different. Like, it's almost a little more like Jamie Josta kind of Max Cavalera. Like, it's a little more like gruff and kind of throaty kind of sounding, but it's like, it's fucking cool and it's, and it's different. And it's like, yeah, he has that too. But he is, I, I'd say with DL, he's definitely, his natural state is being a singer, which I prefer though. You know, I, I feel like Screamers are a dime a dozen and we're we're a metal band, but we're also a rock band And it's like the the singing vocals. It's like that's the thing that's going to people are going to connect to more than anything So you want that voice that singing voice is like that's the real shit right there, you know <laughs> it's, it's true. It's like so you want the 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 heavy vocal and the screaming there as a tool uh, But it's for us. It was like
0: definitely not the, the main focus I have a question about your podcast. I know why you started it. Okay. So I know that. Was there ever a point where you're like, uh, man, I'm sick of talking to people. (laughs) I am out of ideas.
2: No, I I never get sick of talking to people. In fact, I actually think if I'm not doing well, like if I'm in a kind of semi out of its state, my tendency is to like isolate and kind of go recluse. And so the show is a great outlet to actually just connect with people. And like, even though it's like, it's not necessarily my therapy, right? Cause I'm generally talking to other people and letting them talk to me, just connecting to people on their shit and what they've gone through. And you go, man, we're all, it's kind of crazy. That we all go through the same thing and kind of remember, and you're not the only one going through what you're going through. It, uh, it's a nice outlet so I never I never get tired of talking to people I think the only thing I get tired with with my show is is the format and uh the kind of arcs because if you're talking to musicians of a certain ilk and they've been in involved for x amount of time there's there's just a lot of similarities um so I would definitely whether that's eventually graduating out of my show or starting another show. There's definitely other, you know, I I enjoy talking about current events. Like I'd like something that feels a little more topical and less autobiographical, for example, that's something that that's appealing. Uh, I definitely, you know, I have other interests. I'm a huge movie fan. So I'd, I'd love to do something involving movies and getting really nerdy And in that stuff, I, you know, I love NBA and basketball. I could do, there's so many things that I'm into that I could probably do a show on. But you guys know it's so time consuming that we only have so many hours in, in the day. And so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I kind of, there's like a, I feel like there's a group of people I need to talk to, to make this kind of mission statement complete. Um, Mm -hmm. And the show is just kind of humming like it's just kind of like it's just there it's it's kind of like a, a flat line to some degree in a in a good way where it's just consistent you know I, I have some consistent revenue with it that it's not overwhelming but it's nice to just have hey here's some money for this here's some money for that and so that's enough of a kind of a kernel of uh motivation to keep it going and the truth is people still listen to it like every day people tell me how much they love the show and how much it means to them and I get messages about it so it's a uh, It's a cool thing to have, and it's. I guess it's nice to have something that's kind of consistent in your life. It's been five years now, five years literally this month. So it's congratulations. uh, Thank you. I mean, I haven't done. I feel like I look at my episodes comparatively to the years. It's definitely not as prolific as so many of my more consistent friends out there with shows. But uh, but I'm still so proud to get there. I'll I'll be encroaching on two hundred episodes.
0: That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. Okay. You say so. (laughs) I do. I mean, you've been touring too in that time, maybe not in the past year, but yeah. Yeah. Consistency with the podcast. At first, with the URM podcast, we were not very consistent. Like, it would come out on time for like two weeks and then miss a week and then late on the fourth week. Now they're like a machine. Both podcasts are a machine. It took a while to get that consistency. Down. But I, I was curious what your thoughts were on getting sick of it because uh, I kind of was feeling the same thing with the URM podcast for a while. I was starting to feel like I'm having the same conversation over and over and over. I like doing it. I need to do something different or I'm going to lose my mind. And uh, this podcast has helped. But yeah, I was definitely getting that. We're repeating ourselves here feeling with the with the URM podcast but since I started this one it's allowed me to feel a little bit more free with the URM podcast so I don't dread doing it i never by
2: the way i never dread doing my show
0: i dreaded it for a minute
2: the hard part the the, the <laughs> thing that the dreading part or just like the work part is editing and i i listen to every show that i do oh god
1: oh my god yeah
2: because <laughs> you know i i have to make sure you know one i think it's actually very helpful for me as an interviewer To listen to what I do and keep it real with myself and when I'm not doing as good a job as I thought I did or if I'm talking too much or if I'm asking questions you know you know just diction presentation everything like I like I think it 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 has helped me improve but I you know I listen every show I edit every show I put everything together I do my intros and outros that's the work part of it and I'm and every time I do it it's usually like one in the morning by the time I'm done and I'm like I have to make a clip you know that goes to sound talent and then i go and i have to make a video clip and then line up the audio like it's it's fucking work it's just tedious work <laughs> so that aspect of it you know doing the scheduling booking sponsorships you know that's that's like i said that's the kind of that's the work people don't really see they just they just kind of see the end result and i don't hire anyone because in a weird way I'm, a lot of stuff i I, would, I don't trust anyone else to do it properly <laughs> not that they could i'm sure they that they they could but You know, I just, it's a very personal experience for me. So,
1: after you've said all that, I'm going to say that 200 episodes is actually a lot.
0: Yeah, seriously. If you're doing it all on your own, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, probably
1: six to eight hours
2: goes into every show when you look into all the other work from the scheduling to the prep, you know, you know, I, that's, and that's the thing too. I think I dread not being prepared. Like, I actually, delayed an interview with peter tatgren from uh hypocrisy because i was i i just was overworked and it was an early interview and i'm like this guy's career is too expansive for me not to do the proper work and i go can i please get a delay on and usually like i was like i could lie i'm feeling sick and i was like no i'm actually just gonna tell the truth and go hey i don't feel i'm prepared enough and i respect peter too much to go into an interview prepared he deserves a good interview that's respectable and so all that stuff yeah it's a it's a, it's a lot of time but it's just you know I don't I, I try not to half-ass things even though I'm sure I've done you know so there's some people literally that I can be on the show and I don't have to do any preps I know them so well I know their music I know whatever and I can just go boom but in general I like to
0: prepare yeah so I didn't prep for this one I didn't feel like I needed to because we've known each other for a while, but the amount of prep that goes into podcasts, I, I think people don't understand why, like if they listen to a podcast and they really like the host or they think that the host has great conversations with the guests, there's usually a reason for that. There's usually a lot of work that goes into it, but I'm impressed that you listen to every episode. I mean, of course, if you're editing it, you are listening. That is so time consuming. Holy shit! I used to edit the URM podcasts, and I can't imagine doing that now. The amount of time it takes is enormous.
1: I, I still mix the Riffard episodes, but one to three hours is a lot of other things are screaming at me to do. <laughs> so I can I do listen to parts of it, you know. I check it and make sure everything's cool and stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, fair play to you, man. That's a lot of work the thing i like about it the most and the thing i liked about when i was writing before this i like the idea of
2: just having something that's my own thing and there's no vetting process there's no i'm completely in control of it and i don't and and dealing with the music stuff it requires so many layers of approvals and making sure these people are cool and this is it's just it's a lot of headaches and it's nice to have something that i can just here, it's my own thing and the people that connect to it i think probably probably get that that it is a labor of love and you know it's just a very it's a very personal intimate thing that i that i that, that i do you know and so we'll see we'll see we'll we'll see where that goes i'm i'm not totally sure but it definitely feels like something that like i said it's just nice to have something that's consistent in your life you know that you can kind of Count on you. I'll, I'll be doing this thing.
1: <laughs> now imagine doing your second podcast. <laughs> well, I was doing a show. I was on a show
2: called Last Words, which was a video yes show, and so it had that other aspect of like doing intros and pre- presenting, and and it, it was mul- multiple hosts, so it had its a whole other litany of of challenges. But I I liked it that it was a challenge because I just feel like I learned a whole other kind of skill set within within this framework. And that was, it was, and I was paid to do it. So that didn't, that didn't hurt, hurt either. So I was doing two (laughs) a week and I definitely could do more, but I think it's a situation where it probably would have to be something like that, where I was being paid. And like I said, that show, I didn't have to edit. I just showed up, I did my work and that's it. And it was very outside of the, there was prep for that, uh, depending on who the guest was, or maybe we had to listen to records or something like that. So, uh, outside of that
0: i i I totally could could do it especially during this time when i'm not on the road so you've been upgrading with your guests recently i don't want to say upgrading your guests have always been awesome but like it seems like uh been like climbing which is great but here's
2: here's what's ironic about that is it's through no effort of my own i'm just the show is on more people's radar so now publicists reach out to me direct and and are basically handing me a a tier guests. Uh people that I thought I would like have to jump through hoops to get that I, and it's the literal opposite. So that's what's kind of so it's in a, in a weird way I feel like my show lately is less curated to maybe my personality or my inner circle, but uh it's I'm like there's certain people I just I can't say no. Um and I've ran into a situation recently where I'm just like like I've had 20 dudes on this show in a row like i need to talk to more women i need to like just to mix it up like i'm sick of talking to these dudes <laughs> like so i was like i need to i need to book some women on the show so i like these people i'm like right, i gotta talk to this person make a list and then but then all of a sudden you get offered to hey you want gary holt in the show it's like well of course i gotta have gary holt in the show do you want <laughs> mark tremonti well of course i have to have mark tremonti you know so it's this balance between uh wanting to do all that but yeah it's it's nice to not have to kind of chase people down as much to get interviews like i and I had, I had a cool one that's coming out monday uh i had my first film director uh this guy D- david yorofsky and he directed a movie called brightburn not familiar really fucking good but it's like a spin on this basically it's like a reverse superman where it's like they these couple finds a baby in a in a ground and in kansas whatever and it's it's superman but it's evil superman it's it's a but so it's like a horror movie it's fucking sick but having something like that like having a real director who's doing big films and being able to go go down that rabbit hole and be a nerd in that regard is is also like a cool thing and i probably, i don't know if my fans of the show are as interested in something like that but for me that's like cooler
0: yeah it's it's funny you say that because uh I tried doing that kind of stuff on URM, (laughs) like stuff that I wanted to do. Like, I got this, like, uh, forensics expert. He analyzes the audio from, like, crime scenes. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, I thought so. Got a physicist that uh, measures the uh, audio signals of, like, stars. Nobody gave a fuck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, but by the way, I think that's okay. I think it's okay to have a show that doesn't perform as well to satiate your own... The things you want and also there is Going to be a certain aspect of The the, the fan base that's going to really be Into that and by the way because you know Next week you're going to have someone they're more familiar With and accustomed to and that's fine So I think it's okay to take a a hit Temporarily For the idea that hey I'm I'm Mixing it up I think that's okay
0: For the overall quality of the show
2: I think Yeah because just yeah because the thing is It's like if you just give the people what They want you know it's going to be like They're going to have a hamburger, ice cream, (laughs) Jack and Coke, you know, some heroin (laughs) at a strip club while they're gambling. Like we the things we want are kind of inherently bad for us. So you got to you know, it's like sometimes you got to turn on the NPR, you know, do have the hey, we're going to be talking to um, (laughs) an engineer about the the safety of our bridges. Like, sometimes you just need to (laughs) eat, eat your vegetables. It's okay.
0: Give them that kale. All right, last thing I want to talk about, because it is riff hard. Last time we talked, you were saying that having to learn the Bad Wolves material at first was like learning a whole different musical language. And so you had to put a lot of effort into basically stretching your brain in a new way yeah. just to be able to play that stuff but it's been a minute now um what is stretching your brain now musically so the, so the first two records
2: I did two guitar solos on the first two records and even one of those guitar solos was something I had it was the solos on the record is really the solo for my demo like I didn't even have to replay it so and on the new record I did eight guitar solos ah all right <laughs> just to give you just to give you the the difference in um, kind of the involvement, a lot of that is just just literally not being involved or not being brought into the process on a cert- certain level. So I guess I've been thinking a lot more about lead guitar in the last year or so and what that means. And and so I I wouldn't say it's been like hurting my brain or anything. Stretching it. I wouldn't even call it stre- stretching my brain. But one of the things I've noticed is that my approach, like I, I, po- I mean, you guys might have seen this, I posted about it on, on Facebook, where I was like, basically asking guitar players. I think John, you might have even commented on this. Yeah, I think I did. But yeah, when I was talking about lead guitar players, if you like plan your stuff or if you improv, I had this song. It was it's the second song on the new album, but we wrote the song on the last album. So I had a solo written more or less when it was on the last album. I even had like old demos, and it was cool, kind of in flamesy, kind of melodic thing. And then I recorded it pretty decently, and then I was like, "Well, let me just fuck around with this and just start doing crazy shit." And then I cobbled together, you know, I, I comp together a solo from all these these improvs, and I like showed it to my girlfriend. I'm like, which one? And she's like, "It's not even close. Like, it's this one, the one that was all that was all cobbled together." And you go, and you're like, and I don't know. It's kind of put this thing in my brain where I'm like, I can write something and it's cool. But it just sometimes it's just not nearly as exciting as things that just happen when you play and you're not thinking. Uh, so I've been just doing that a lot more, like where I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna do 20 takes, and then I'll spend an hour the next day just going through and listening. And like, and I like actually taking that day in between to like, so you're not as critical over what you just did, where you can't really tell what's good, or so even taking a day or two or a week, and then go, okay, what's, and then it's like. I don't know, this is kind of working. Or sometimes I'll do those 20 takes. Like, I, we, like so we did this Christmas cover, and I, I was doing acoustic guitar solos. And I I made three guitar solos out of the 20 takes or whatever, and then said, oh, here's three different solos. Tell which one you like. And it's like kind of just taking a completely different approach. Um, and I don't know. I feel like it's it's working for me because every time I start a song to record a guitar solo, it feels hopeless <laughs> 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 because it feels like I've been doing this for how many years and I can't tell how many guitar solos I've written and how many, where you're like, how do you do something fresh? How do you do something new? How do you not repeat yourself? How do you not just rip off the same Randy Rhodes lick or, you know what I'm saying? Like, so finding ways to make that work, but then still make it hooky because I think that's the thing we worry about when we're not composing is like, is it still going to have melody? Is it still going to have things that the ear grabs onto? because you don't just want it to be like wank,
0: you know, just like like an actual piece of music.
2: Exactly. Exactly. How do you do that? You know, or like find moments where you can blend that, you know,
0: those those kind of two 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 ideas. So
2: I don't know. I, I feel like I I, don't, I was meandering there, but.
0: So you're trying to make better solos basically and it's driving you nuts because writing solos sucks.
2: It's not like, hey, I'm trying to make better solos than I made 10 years ago. I'm just like, how do you every t- how do you approach this thing and do something that feels exciting and that serves the material and is like because it's like it's a weird thing, right It's like I feel like writing a solo is probably closer to like a rapper send them to the studio and go hey, write a verse. Like, you're, like, writing a
1: new song on top of the song. <laughs> and you have to do it fresh every time. This is why I don't do solos, because it's like you can write a whole song in the time that it takes you to write the guitar solo.
2: Yeah, but there's this weird expectation of people who are, like, giving you the marching orders to go do a solo that it's like... Like, I made this joke. It's like, what do you what do you think? I'll just go to the, so, the the guitar solo store, <laughs> just pull out magic it's like it's like I put my heart and my soul and I'm, and I'm ripping out you know it's it's this thing of uh you know you have to go to this well of inspiration and excitement and and so I'm just saying like that's something that I've found to be working well for me where I'm like because I think in a way you end up trusting yourself more in your playing you go hey I'm just gonna have because when you just don't think about it you just play and you just go then just cool things happen, and you go. And then when you can really listen to something, go. What's actually cool in this? All oh, right, okay. This this little bit. All right, I'm gonna cut the top and the bottom off. Here's this thing. I know it's cool. Put that away. Go through this one. Okay, that little tail end. I like that one note. Chop that off. Keep you know what I'm saying. And then you just you know you build like your little weird science <laughs> model <laughs> guitar solo. <song.
0: laughs> I do know what you're saying because I have built guitar solos like that a lot of the time. I think that part of rock and metal is like that most of the musicians, most, are not improvisers. They're writers. And I think that the majority of guitar solos that I've been involved with, I don't just mean the ones I've written, but the ones I've helped other people write or recorded, um, were a combination of... Uh, bursts of inspiration with like a lot of uh, piecing together of ideas on like this puzzle until it was like the right structure and the right dynamic and it did the right stuff. But it typically doesn't just pop out like pop out awesome. Like, even with some of the very best guitar players I've worked with, it typically doesn't just pop out awesome. It takes takes work it takes a lot of work and the playing part of it is not the whole story like yeah of course the playing part of it is tough enough but uh constructing an actual piece of music with a beginning middle and end that elevates the song and makes you feel something that uh it's hard given the fact that you've talked to
2: countless guitar players actually you can probably count it since the the episodes are numbered (laughs) (laughs) but uh has there been any through lines or like similarities now of, of talking to so many guitar players now that you can kind of find some strains of, of kind of wisdom that you can pull from that, that kind of ties all this together to go, Hey, this is what I should be focusing on as a guitar player, or this is musically where I should uh, need to kind of keep my head on straight. Yes.
0: I have noticed a few things. One is for people who, want to have a band, like a band that actually stays together and does stuff and uh, perseveres. Communication is king. The amount of people who have come on and talked about how important it was to get the communication straight between them and their band members and explaining exactly how it works and how they develop whatever system of communication they've got. That's a huge through line. Every single one of them who has had, you know, because some of them are not band dudes. They're, like, solo artists or whatever. But among the band people, um, they all talk about how important that part is. Like, almost more important than the musical chemistry. So, that. And then another through line is recording yourself. It's, like, modern guitar players get better by recording themselves and then analyzing. That's like almost everybody does that now. It's very, very rare for us to talk to someone who doesn't do that and who hasn't adopted that and who doesn't say that that's like foundational to them getting a lot better. Would you agree, Brown?
1: I'd actually say those are the two main points as well. And I would have brought up the second one probably before the first one because it's the one that I remembered most vividly because I talk about it all the time.
0: (laughs) but everybody agrees
1: but yeah everyone agrees yeah i think recording yourself obviously the communication between band members as well and yeah i'm just trying to rack my brain obviously trying to remember over 200 hours of conversation right now into a microsecond
0: well the other stuff varies because it's like you know one person likes to slow everything down and speed it up another person says don't do that bullshit like do it in bursts and then expand the bursts and uh You know, some people say, learn your theory. Other people say, theory limits you. Like, uh, I feel like when it comes to the actual music part of it, it's varied, you know, it's like, I guess so through line with that is that it is important for people to figure out what works best for them and to then dig in and double down on that. Without fail, every single one of these guitar players has figured that out for themselves. So whether or not they slow things down and speed them up or angle their picks a certain way or whatever, know their theory or can sight read. That shit doesn't matter as much as uh, the fact that they figured out how they get better and what works for them and have like focused in on those things.
1: Actually, one thing that has popped up a lot as well is that a lot of the guitar players know what drives them to write music Mm, as well. Like they know what situation. It's not like they're entirely waiting for inspiration to happen. They sort of have catalysts, I guess. They need to be in a certain mood or something like that. We definitely spoke about that earlier, but I recall that it's actually happened a few times.
0: Everybody is struggling to make sense of things, but like these people have a very good idea of who they are as musicians. That doesn't really help if someone's listening to this, wanting to know how to like play their scales faster or down pick harder, but those are the through lines that I've seen because when it comes, like I said, when it comes to actual techniques or the actual work of getting better, that it's so varied.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah,
0: so down to the individual. I think when you zoom out though, you start to see that they know who they are. They know who the people they work with are. They know what it takes for them to do their best and they kind of like demand that situation Um, and they Create that situation for themselves If that makes sense Yeah, I guess we can
2: comfortably say the uh, Guitar being dead In uh, mainstream music is a fallacy it's, they, they buried us before our time We're coming Dude, back It's baby. totally a fallacy <laughs> I agree, alright, if MGK is bringing that guitar up there I think, you know, I think we're good, alright Thanks MGK
0: <laughs> Guitar's not <laughs> going anywhere, like we said before The lens of what's mainstream Is distorted With the amount of niches out there and how big you can get within a niche like guitar is not going anywhere
2: and we can thank the pandemic partially for that because i think didn't like they break all kinds of records for like people selling guitars during the pandemic so you know and a lot of those are young kids who are 12 13 years old that though those plants that have been seeded now will flourish in 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 many years we're going to get a lot of future rock stars coming up so
1: i'm pretty excited about like, I mean, even, uh, you know, I've got some friends, just as an example, Boutique Amps distribution, and they're still behind on orders from the pandemic by a lot.
2: Well, listen, fellas, I appreciate you uh, for taking the time and having me on. It's, all, it's always a pleasure. I know I'm going to get some heady, heady uh, conversations and, and we're going to, you know, get a little, a little bit deeper than I think some of the other conversation I, and I always appreciate it. We try. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Doc. Always a pleasure. Likewise.
0: Man, it is so cool to see how well Doc has done. I've known that dude since the God Forbid days. Uh, Like, I remember him and his brother and me ending up on some bus together at the New England Metal Fest in, like, 2007. And, you know, I've, like, had a project with him. And I've just, I saw how many times he kept on taking shots at this music thing even after god forbid when a lot of people would just quit you know this worked out but didn't work out as the way i wanted fuck it we had a good run but he just kept on going and uh one of those finally landed and landed in a very big way which is great
1: obviously it's great yeah it takes a certain personality to fall that many times and keep going It's amazing the drive that Doc has just to keep doing music. It's actually inspiring
0: to watch. Tough as fucking nails, basically. Yeah. (laughs) It really gives validity to the idea of not giving up, which, you know, is kind of funny because sometimes it's important to know if it's time to give up. But if you really do have faith in yourself and you really do want it to happen, you got to make the sacrifices necessary. So like, for instance, I know that he left New Jersey and went to LA when he had nothing. He just went in his car with like nothing after God forbid. And the quick project we had. And in LA he was bartending and just trying projects and like just working hard to just keep it going and keep on, keep on taking shots at this. So, and it was like a good five year span between God forbid and when bad wolves first hit so dude those five years and also being like in your 30s most people would drop out
1: yeah it was it's exactly that time where, you're like, have I made the right choice right now? Yeah. I'm pretty certain that every single musician I know has had that moment. The moment they hit thirty, it's like, what the fuck am I doing?
0: That's the age.
1: It is, isn't it?
0: <laughs> thirty is like if you put it on a graph, there were that's where the steep decline uh happens in the number of musicians actually trying to do it for for real.
1: And a huge spike in mental problems let's say yes <laughs> where that's the, the the age of questioning
0: oh i know that when i was 30 it was the same thing me too that's like when i stopped with the band like right around 30 it was right before our worst tour ever best and worst we talked about it with uh with Sammy from Goat Horror on oh yeah a previous episode but like tour where i almost died that was like 10 weeks long in the summer i had just turned 30 Two times around the U.S. and Canada, like no, what the fuck? Uh, but uh, and in summer, man, it was fucking brutal. But yeah, I was thinking the whole time, like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
1: horrible when you have that self chat with yourself internally, isn't it? Is this what doing music is?
0: <laughs> yeah, is this what all my work added up to? Yeah, am I a fucking idiot? You know, like those kinds of thoughts. and But I think it's natural to have those kinds of thoughts anyway. It's like even if you are super successful, you might have those thoughts anyhow. So I I don't think anyone's immune from those thoughts. It's just when you do have those thoughts, what's your answer to them? That's what matters.
1: Yes. I, 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 Actually, I think that social media is quite bad and probably contributes more towards that question for musicians now. They'll see, you know all of the people they went to school with that are buying houses, having kids, getting married. Yep. And then I'm in a 15-seater Ford passenger van, haven't showered in five days, $14 for a Flying J shower.
0: (laughs) I remember sometime after a tour, like or like a long stretch of touring, it was my high school like 10-year reunion or something for my class. So I went to it. We just got together at a bar and I was like, you know, a savage, just like had come off of a 90 day tour, like Ozfest and like other stuff. And like, you know, what happens to you when you've been out there that long. And I'm with these people who are like talking about buying their first house or what their first kid is like, or planning on having a kid next year and like their normal life jobs. And it's just like, wow, I wasn't, jealous of them, but I was thinking more like, wow, like our lives are so incredibly different now. And this, this music thing is so far from normal. Like you're in it, when you're in it, it is your normal. So you, you know, you're used to it, but then when you get a little bit of contrast against the real world, it's like, holy shit, this is not how people operate generally.
1: No, it's... Really, really different. We're basically gypsies that play music. Pretty much. Traveling around, eating, uh, <laughs> eat, what are those bars called? Those bars, you, cliff bars. Basically, yeah. Very peculiar lifestyle. And that's why we question it. It's not normal. It's just
0: not normal. I also think that humans have uh, an innate need for stability.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, right? And there's very little stability in music. Um, That's, you know, they're like, I've said, lots of times that there's multiple reasons for why I decided to start URM and then kept trying to get you to do this with me is uh there's like the musical reasons and all that but there's also the stability I wanted to create something stable I didn't want to have to keep on being scared every day of my entire life you know that added
1: to the the question that we yeah <laughs> Yeah, dude. I mean, it was the same for me. Like obviously we started riff hard together. And the last time I had a, uh, let's say society recognized job was at the age of 22, where it was full time and I got a monthly paycheck. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't get another monthly paycheck until the age of 33. So it was 10 years, 11 years of complete not knowing what to do. And I think that really plays into you mentally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It really, really does. I mean, don't you feel now that you have some stability? I mean, you're still you. You've still got your whatever issues, but like...
1: Oh, I definitely have issues. (laughs) But
0: I'm saying, don't you think that the stability helps to some degree?
1: Actually, if anything, yeah, it definitely helps. It helps me. It's, you know, all that static that's going off when it's like, fuck, my rent's due. What guitar am I going to have to sell this month to pay that? Mm -hmm. Or how am I going to get 500 bucks, a thousand bucks in two weeks? And that, I think that that can ruin a musician's drive pretty quickly. Yeah. I think the stability is definitely helpful. It's why a lot of musicians still live at home with their families. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I
0: did for a long time.
1: Uh, I, I unfortunately did not have that option and if uh, if i could i would still live with my mum
0: <laughs> people who have that option should consider taking it there's no shame in it
1: no shame at all no
0: yeah i know what you mean about selling gear that first year of urm i sold so much gear i mean i wasn't using it but also i needed to pay rent <laughs> like you know so distressor okay that's a month of rent right there
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty horrible to do that cuz obviously you spent a long time building up all of that yep equipment a lot of sacrifice happened by so it's not just the fact that it was a distressor; it's the fact that it had a story attached to it
0: yeah exactly but gotta live
1: and i'm pretty sure that docs had to do that along the way too
0: absolutely
1: but now he's killing it
0: yeah that's why it's so fucking cool to see the kind of success that he's having
1: and it's not just bad wolves either i mean the wedding band with mr hammer and co and yeah you know, imagine
0: <laughs> Well, that's the thing that's cool about Doc is not only does he keep taking shots, but he's got a very diverse career when you look at it. The podcast, Wedding Band, Bad Wolves, like his other bands, God forbid, like he does a lot of shit.
1: He is constantly busy.
0: Yeah, well, Doc, we love you. And Brown, we'll talk to you next week. It's been a pleasure. See you next week, man. Thanks for listening to the Rivar
1: Podcast. We'll see you next week.